starting at verse number 19. Matthew 26 and verse 19. <clears throat> Matthew 26 and verse number 19. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. And when, we even, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. And I want to talk to you this morning about twelve at the table. There were twelve at the table. Can we pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning and help us to understand his word? Jesus, we love you. We love your word. We love what you are doing in this city and in this church. God, I pray that you would touch every heart this morning, that you would touch us with your word, with your spirit. Transform and change us, God, to reflect your image and to look more like you and to act like you and to talk like you and think like you. Thank you for preparing a table before us this morning. And we come to it, Lord, hungry for more of you and to rededicate ourselves to you afresh this year in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Before Jesus was crucified, he held one more celebratory feast with his disciples. Uh, Jews are, are known for a few of their feasts, and you might recognize the one that I'm going to mention here this morning. It's the Feast of Passover. It's typically celebrated right around Easter time because they are very interconnected. And Passover is the celebration that the Jews look back to the day when God liberated them from slavery in Egypt. They had been slaved for many years, many hundreds of years in Egypt, and uh, they had been brutally treated. And even, um, you know, their population was, was controlled through Pharaoh and trying to get the midwives to make sure that only the, the girl babies survived their, their birth. Any boy children that were born, there was a, a quota of how many per family. And at one time, he completely obliterated all the male children in the nation of Israel because he was afraid they were going to outgrow the population of the Egyptians and, and join with their enemies. And so uh, there was a lot of brutal things that happened during their years of slavery. And when Moses arrived on the scene, he showed up to Pharaoh's court, and him and his brother Aaron stood before Pharaoh and said, The Lord God, the I am that I am, says, Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, No, about ten different times. And every time that he went to visit them, uh, Pharaoh, he, he produced another miracle, a plague that struck the nation of Egypt. And yet, Pharaoh, in all of his determination and stubbornness, kept saying, No, 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 even though... The, the water had turned to blood. All of the water, the running water of that area had turned completely to blood. Even though flies had swarmed and frogs filled the land and death in the cattle and hail and, and signs and wonders from heaven, darkness that covered the earth for three days. All of these signs that took place, yet Pharaoh continually said no until finally at the end, the final sign when, when God pronounced judgment on all the firstborn in the land because Pharaoh had killed all the firstborn male of, of Israel. So God said, I'm going to take the life of every firstborn child in Egypt if Pharaoh says no one more time. Yet this plague was not going to be um, 
was not going to be just relative to Egypt. It was for the entire land. And so God said, in order to protect yourself, so the angel of death does not visit your home, take blood from the lamb and paint the doorposts of your home. There's a picture on the screen there that might show that for you, where the Jews took the blood of a lamb. You may have heard us sing about the blood of the lamb this morning. And I'll make, connect the dots for you in a minute. But they took the blood of a, a spotless lamb and they painted the doorposts of the home. And then they ate the lamb in a traditional fashion with bitter herbs be, to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery. And they, they would do this feast. Uh, and, and it was on the night that they were liberated. And when they put the blood on the doorposts of their home, the Bible says that the death angel passed over them and went on to the next house to check there was blood on the doorposts and the angel of death would pass over them. And this was, this was the feast that they celebrated. And to this day, the Jews still celebrate Passover, where God passed over the people that were covered by the, by the blood of the lamb. Now, it, it was not specific because you could, if you were an Egyptian, you could join in and cover the doorposts of your home with blood and you would be covered. It wasn't, it wasn't culture specific. It wasn't just the Jews that were protected. Anybody who had blood on the lintel of their door would have been covered by the sacrifice of the lamb. The lamb died in your place. And so it symbolized that judgment had already visited this house. It had visited in the, in the form of the sacrifice of this little innocent lamb. And it was a picture. The Bible says the Old Testament is a shadow of what was to come. And what was to come was John the Baptist standing on the, on the banks of the Jordan River in Israel centuries after Moses and the Israelites had left Egypt. And John the Baptist sees Jesus and he points to the crowd and says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. John prophesied that it was the blood of Jesus that would serve the same purpose as the blood of that lamb on the Passover meal. That judgment would visit the lamb instead of the people. That the blood of the lamb would be spilt and if those who wanted to be spared judgment themselves would simply be covered by the blood, they would dwell in a house that was covered by the blood, therefore they would be covered. I urge you to get in the church today. The church is what is covered by the blood. And I don't mean get into the building because you're already here. See, the church is not a building. It's a group of people. The church is not a physical building, but the Bible says that we are living stones put together, built together a house of God. I'm built on you and you are built on me. We are not independent of one another. I need you, you need me, just like the stones of a house need to fit together. The Bible, Peter says that the church is, a, is a, the workmanship of God and it's fitly framed together. Each stone has its place. Each person in the church has its, uh, its ministry. You are valuable to God in the kingdom of God. There is a place for you in the church. And so get in the church. How do you get in the church? Jesus made it very plain and very simple. He told his disciples, go and preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name. The name is Jesus. 
because the disciples would later preach that message on the day of Pentecost. And when everybody turned to them and said, Men brethren, we've killed Jesus. What should we do? Peter said, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The blood will be covered, will cover over you in baptism. And the Spirit will enter you by the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's what brings you into the church. Get in the church. The church is covered. The church is protected, and when judgment falls, the church will be preserved and saved. Jesus, on the night that he was to be crucified, sits with his disciples for his final Passover meal. And he told his disciples, go, and, and, and when you see a man carrying a pot of water, follow him. Go into the house that he's in and prepare the Passover, whatever house he goes into. And so all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the disciples following and going into this house and preparing the Last Supper for Jesus to eat with his disciples. Now, part of Oriental etiquette is, is, is something along these lines. Eastern etiquette or mealtime preparation is like this. When you are invited to somebody's home, you clear your schedule. And you are there as long as they want you to be. Really. That's proper etiquette. You go and you don't seek to leave early. You go and you stay. Because this is more than just filling your belly. This is about making a covenant relationship. In fact, it was very common that if you were to sit down with a wealthy Arab or Middle Eastern individual family, and you were invited into their home and allowed to eat with them if they served bread and salt at the same time. That there was a symbol to you that you were making an everlasting, you were now part of their family. You were an extended member of their family. Then they said there is now bread and salt between us. When Abimelech wanted permanent covenant with Isaac, all he did was make a feast. And they ate and they drank together, and according to the scripture, they made a covenant by simply sitting down and eating bread, salt, and having some drink. There is bread and salt between us. We are bound by a solemn covenant. A foe will not taste the salt of his adversary until he is ready to be restored into friendship with him. So in some rural districts of Syria, there is a custom that a person that is on a mission of importance will not eat bread or salt of the host until his first purpose has been made clear. If he's there on an errand and the host says, sit down and eat, he says, I will not sit down and eat until I have cleared this business with you. Because once I clear the business, then we're free to make a covenant. Until then, we've got we to deal with this important thing first. Then we can make a covenant. Then we can be brethren. We can come together. So you understand that when Jesus invites his 12 disciples to sit at a table with him, it's more than just a Passover meal. For Jesus, this was a solemn feast. This was a serious ordeal. This was a covenant relationship being forged around this table. And so it is when Jesus was sitting at the table with his disciples, he took some bread and he blessed it. And he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat this, for it is my body. Now, 
This Jesus was not treat, teaching a doctrine that from this point forward, every time you partook of the bread, it turned into his actual body. There's some that believe that. That's not what Jesus was saying. It was a figure of speech. He was saying, become part of me. We are making a covenant. We are becoming inseparably linked. When you eat this bread, you're becoming part of me. You're eating my body. You're taking in my essence, my, my character, my identity, my name, my everything. You're, you're partaking of You're becoming one with me. And then he took the cup of wine and he said, each of you drink from it for it is my blood or it's a symbol of my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Now, it's interesting, Jesus did not invite the elite to his table. Jesus didn't invite the best behaved. He did not invite the most talented or the most skilled. He didn't even invite the smartest or the ones who were most most acquainted with Jewish law. He did not invite the most righteous to the table with him. He did not evaluate whether or not they could actually become part of him. He simply invited the 12. And the 12 were a ragtag group of men. Many scholars believe they were ranging in ages from, from 16 to their early 30s. Very young group of men. Young fishermen, Builders, architects, carpenters, stonemasons. Uh, they, they were a group of, of, of rough blue-collar men Jesus had sitting around the table with him. Some of them were former zealots. They were military men trying to overthrow the Romans. Some of them were, were financial advisors. They were shrewd. Some of them were tax collectors. And if you know what a tax collector is, uh, Today, we don't, we don't see so much of a face when we pay our taxes, but the same animosity we have towards the tax bill is the same animosity they would put towards the individual. In fact, if you were a Jew and a tax collector, it was a double whammy because you were seen to be a betrayer of your own people because you were taking the money of your own people and giving it to the pagan em emperor of Rome. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great group of men. It wasn't the elite that Jesus invited to his table. One of the individuals that Jesus invited to the table was a man by the name of Judas. He was the son of a very prejudiced and stick-necked stick Pharisee. The same individual, by the way, there's another cultural thing going on here. There was a washing of the feet. Every time... Now, think about it. They didn't have shoes and socks like today. They wore bare feet and sandals. And it is dusty, dry, desert, arid Israel, okay? And so imagine walking around all day in your sandals and your rough and tough feet, and you come into somebody's home. It was customary for if you were not rich enough, you had a basin of water at the door. And after you, you entered the home and blessed the home, you washed your feet before you came in. And uh, if you were... Uh, a wealthy individual's servants, you was expected for your servants to wash the feet of your guests when they entered the home. It was part of the duty. It was, and it was the lowest servitude job because if just as gross as it is to wash somebody's feet today, it was worse back then. Okay, so it, it has not, in, the, the cold, some people say, well, they were used to it back then. They were no more used to it than you and I would be used to it today. It's still kind of odd and weird and strange and humbling to step down and wash somebody's feet. 
And when Jesus was, was invited to Judas's dad's house, Judas's dad's house was a Pharisee. Judas's father was a Pharisee. And he was a very well-to-do Pharisee, a, 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 a respected man. And uh, Judas, his dad decided he wasn't going to wash the feet of Jesus, which was kind of a, a snub at the ministry of Jesus. It was like a thumb in the face or, you know, a symbol, like a, a subliminal message sent that you're not really an honored guest here. We're having you here out of obligation. And so this is Judas. Judas comes from this family. He was referred to in the scripture as an adversary. He was the, he was the one who held the purse of the disciples. Now, that being said, we can read and find that, you know, probably for most of the ministry of Jesus, Judas was just one of the guys. He wasn't treated differently, and he was loved and reached for and treated the same. But, but Judas had a secret, and his secret was that he, he had a problem with thievery. And the Bible says he, he kept the purse of the disciples. In other words, he was in charge of the money. But he often dipped into the money bag for himself and bought things on his own account using the communal money of the disciples. He was, he was against Mary's act of worship as she bent down to worship Jesus in one of the feasts that Jesus was in. And she anointed Jesus' feet with oil and perfume and, and wiped it with her hair. In fact, the same feast in which Judas's dad refused to wash the feet of Jesus, Mary stepped forward seeing that Jesus was dishonored and could not abide the dishonor done to her Lord. She stepped out of the, the crowd, so to speak, and anointed Jesus' feet and head with very expensive perfume and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. She humbled herself to the greatest degree, and Judas stood up and said, Master, don't let her waste this perfume on you like this. And Jesus rebuked Judas and said, No, this, she's done this in honor of me, and wherever the gospel is preached, she will be mentioned from this day forward. So this is the, this is the backdrop. These are the people that are around the table. Some of the, the disciples were so bold as to ask Jesus to call down fire from heaven and burn up their enemies. I mean, this was a, this was a rough and tough crowd. And so uh, oftentimes when you, when you hear teaching about the, the Last Supper, you might get this image in your mind. And if you want to put up that painting of the Last Supper, this is Leonardo da Vinci's uh, painting of the Last Supper. And this is very European style, right? Sitting at a table long form table and by the way for any of you in the room that are not yet married this is the typical table of the head table at a wedding right but just from experience it's the most awkward way to eat food in the whole entire world you're sitting in front of everybody you get to talk to nobody and you have to like really you know so i always i always say to newlyweds you know break the trend and have a circle table for the head table at least you can talk to your friends. You're not staring at everybody while you eat your food. You know? <laughs> and so this, this, was, this was the European style, right? They're sitting with a tablecloth, and they're sitting on chairs. And, and you, you read, then you read the story about how Jesus got up from the feast, and he, he went and he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus, the leader, the host, gets down and humbly presents himself as a servant to all of his disciples in order to show them this is how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a servant to one another. And not one of you is better than the other. And nobody is above doing the lowest job. Everybody is 
a team, and we're here together. We're on the same plane. We're in the same boat. We're on the same, at the same table. There's really no one better than the other. And so we, you look at this and go, that's kind of, man, that, that'd be kind of awkward. Jesus like hiding under the tablecloth, washing people's feet. That's odd, right? This is not at all a good depiction of what happened. Go to the next picture, if you will. The, the, the disciples would have used something called a triclinium. This was the common, at this time, this was the common way to eat a communal meal, where you were reclined on one side and your feet stuck out from behind you. So you can see it's a lot easier for, for servants to come around and wash the feet of people while they're eating. So this, this makes it a little bit more, oh, that, that makes a little bit more sense. Jesus isn't hiding under the tablecloth cleaning Peter's toes. He's actually, he's actually just, you know, beside or behind him washing his feet, and it, it, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. And, and so when Jesus is now sitting here, the disciples are surrounding him like this. Now, go to the next one because it shows uh, the feast outline. So there would be different place settings around. You don't have to really reach very far to get what you needed. You could just simply reach out and take and, and eat. And it was very communal, right? Round table sort of way, able to talk to one another. Go to the next picture, if you will. And so here we see the disciples. This is a better depiction of the Last Supper and what took place. This kind of makes sense because you read Jesus' other writings and statements, and he says, when you're invited to somebody's house, do not sit down in the place of honor. So even at this round table, there was a place of honor. The host, as you can see, always sat over here, but he didn't sit at what you might think was the head of the table, the, the end. He sat kind of in the middle of the, the head of the table. The host would sit there, and then the places of honor, there was two places of honor, one on the right and one on the left. The one on the right received the highest honor. The one on the left received the lesser honor, but still better than everybody else. So Jesus said, when you go to somebody's home, don't sit at the right hand of the host. Don't assume you are the guest of honor, but rather sit at the very base. This is where Peter is sitting. Sit at the bottom of the table. And then if the host wants to honor you, he will call you up. He'll call you up to where the, the head honor of the head place was. Now, this is what we know of the Last Supper. What was the placement order of the guests? And we can know this by the book of John. John gives us some clues as to who were the men sitting in the place of honor at the Passover meal. John 13 verse 21 said, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So Jesus knew one of this group here was going to betray him and be the, the one who would sell him out to the Romans. The disciples looked to one another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, that's his chest, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. So Simon had to be across from the one who was leaning on the breast of Jesus. And, and he said, ask Jesus, who is it? That, 
ask him who it is. Go ahead, go ask him. Peter motions to John. John is sitting where he could lean on the breast of Jesus or lean in Jesus' personal space and say to him, who is it? Who, who? Ask him privately, who is the one that's going to betray you? And Jesus answered the one who leaned over to him and said, it's he it is who I shall give a sop. What in the world is sop? Sop is special sauce. If you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, it's the Chick-fil-A sauce. It's not the honey mustard. It's not the, the, the honey roasted peanut barbecue sauce. It's Chick-fil-A sauce. So Jesus said to John, it's the one I let dip in my Chick-fil-A sauce. It's the special stuff. Sop was a special sauce only given to the host. It was a sweet blend of different things with spices, and it was very delicious, and it was so unique and rare that only the host was allowed to have it, and he typically only shared it with the guest of honor. So Jesus said to John, the one who dips in the sop with me, since it was only for the guest of honor, that places the person who would betray Jesus right beside him in the highest place of honor. Go back to the picture, if you will. So let's, let's play this out as per our illustration. John, if you remember, they're all leaning to the one side, is sitting on the left. So he can lean over to Jesus and whisper so nobody else can hear. So quiet that not only the guests sitting next to Jesus could hear. Jesus says, the one who's going to dip in the sauce with me, and that was the one in the guest of honor, was Judas. Why, why, why take the time to line this out? Because when we partake of the supper this morning, I, I wanted to address something that's common in church culture. Someone comes to a communion service and says, I'm not worthy to eat at the table. I didn't, I didn't prepare myself enough. I didn't repent hard enough. I didn't do penance enough. I think I might have some secret things, hidden things that... If I eat at the supper, I'm afraid of being judged. You have to understand, Jesus was sitting next to the person, and he put the person in the highest place of honor who he knew was going to betray him and then commit suicide. Judas was the one who would betray Jesus to the Pharisees and the Romans and be really responsible for the death of Jesus as a a complicit participant. Yet Jesus, knowing this about Judas, says, Judas, I'm not putting you at the base here with Peter. I'm putting you right next to me. I'm putting you in the seat of honor. I'm putting you in the seat of, of special placement. And I think that's a symbol to us. It's a signal to us that when we partake of the supper, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not about how good we are or how righteous we've been or how much praying we've done ahead of time. I'm not saying we shouldn't be serious about it and we shouldn't take it seriously. But I'm just letting you know here this morning that if Jesus will sit next to John and Judas in the place of honor at his last supper table, then there's place for you at the table this morning. 
Because every single one of us are sitting in that same place of honor where, where Jesus has reached out to us and loved us, yet in some way, shape, or form, we are guilty of betraying the Lord and betraying his word and not obeying him when he spoke to us and not coming when he called and not responding when we were to pray or read our Bible or, or, or dedicate ourselves to him. He's, he's hosted a meal for us. The Bible says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies uh, and often we'll leave the table of prayer and go to our phone and open up the table of social media and eat the junk food off of that table instead of spending time with our Lord. Lord. I'm, I don't know about you. I'm just being transparent this morning. Sometimes uh, instead of sitting down at the table with him, uh, we sit at the table of entertainment or we sit at the table of friends and family instead of going to the Lord. Instead of asking him, Lord, what should I do in this matter? We seek the wisdom and the counsel of this world uh, or our friends or, our, or we take the ideas that is transmitted to us through media and television and we agree with that over the Bible and we might even get to the place where we look at the Bible and we say, that's an ancient book. It has hard things. I don't know if I really want to obey God's word. It seems more right to follow what the world is saying. See, we could, we could in so many ways, I could keep going, we could allow the Holy Ghost in our life to reveal ways where we betray the Lord. We, we, we don't obey his word. We don't follow him. But he still invites us to the most treasured place of honor at the table. Jesus dips the sop with Judas. And after, the Bible says, after Judas dipped in the sop with him, Satan entered into his heart and Jesus said to Judas, go and do what you want to do and do it quickly. It was the sign of honor. Judas had obviously been contemplating this idea of if I betray Jesus to the Romans, now, in Judas's defense, I think Judas was doing it out of a desire to see Jesus step up his messiahship action. That if I get Jesus in the place between a rock and a hard place, Jesus will have to start actually doing the work of Messiah and overthrowing the Romans. I think Judas really wanted to kickstart Jesus's military ministry <laughs> against the Romans and establish the kingdom of God in the physical world. But in Judas's action, he actually propelled Jesus headlong into the cross. When Jesus left with his disciples, by the way, when Judas got up and left the table, the disciples thought, where's Judas going, but then continued on with the meal. They didn't catch on what was taking place. Judas goes and Jesus and his disciples finish the meal and then go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they pray. And that's where they were. Judas finds them there with the guard, the temple guard and the Romans. And they come to arrest Jesus. And Judas told his Roman friends, the one I greet with a kiss is the one you are to arrest. And so Jesus was praying there in the garden. And Judas comes up to him and says, greetings, Rabbi and gave him the kiss. And Jesus said in response, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Interesting. Jesus calls Judas friend. Jesus at the last was reaching for Judas. 
At the very last moment, to the last point of Judas's decision, Jesus was reaching for Judas. Jesus was extending, he extended the guest of honor placement for him. He extended the special sauce to Judas. And he extended the hand of a friend when Judas came to betray him. What is this all about? Jesus wanted Judas to know that despite whatever choices he made, that Jesus would still reach out in kindness and forgiveness and try to restore him to a place of relationship with him. See, what Jesus knew he had to do is he had to go to the cross. He had to go to the place where he was being taken. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus calls Peter Satan and calls Judas his friend. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you cannot die. You cannot go through with this. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. But when Judas betrays Jesus to get Jesus to the cross, Judas, Jesus calls Judas friend. In other words, Jesus was saying Judas inadvertently was helping him accomplish the goal that was outlined for him in the beginning. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was, he was, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us like sheep have wandered off and gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, and was no one cared that he was dead without descendants. He did no wrong and never deceived anyone, but was buried like a criminal and was put in a rich man's grave. Jesus reached out to his disciples because he was trying to renew something that was broken. See, among the Eastern culture, when a covenant has been broken, the only thing that can restore that covenant relationship is a meal. If you've broken a relationship with a friend or a family member, the easiest way to repair that relationship is to make things right, but then have a meal together. We see this after Jesus' resurrection. He eats at least three times with his disciples. Because, by the way, when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered like rats in a rainstorm. They were gone. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he came back and he had meals with them over and over again to confirm to them, hey, the covenant has been renewed. What was Jesus doing when he sat down at the Last Supper with his disciples? He was sending them a message. The covenant is intact. But it's not intact through a military campaign. It's not intact through a miracle that I do. It's intact through the sacrifice that I'm extending for you. Jesus brought everybody together and had this meal with them to renew a relationship with them. 
All we like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. But Jesus took upon himself the weight of us all. We stand this morning. Sister Bryson, if you'd come. See, the table is a place of intimacy. And if um, those who are preparing the, the Lord's Supper, if you could help set that up now, we're going to partake of that in a few moments. The reason we partake of the bread and the, the cup this morning is to remember. Remember.